Welcome to Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh Durox, a mini-series focusing on 10 essential perspectives and practices to embody self-love. Here's Jesh. Welcome uh, to day three of this 10-day journey that we're doing. (laughs) I'm just doing uh, 10 small talks on... uh, practical forms of self-love. Self-love is a big topic that's being, you know, memed about all the time now, which is wonderful. And I think, you know, when a subject rises like that and starts being talked about, it's really, really helpful to just check in sometimes and be like, okay, that's great. Everybody's excited about it. And we're all, you know, chanting self-love, self-love, you know, that's great. What does it mean? What does it actually practically mean? What does it look like? So I am not claiming to be some master of it, but I am claiming to be a heck of a lot better than I used to be at it. And I want to share a little bit about what I've learned about it with you guys over these over these 10 days. Today, I want to talk about remembering and how that remembering can actually be a really beautiful form of, of self-love. So it's one of the funniest things about the human experience, but we have the ability to know that we're alive and we actually have the ability to forget that we're alive. The difference between those might seem like a small thing, but it's really not a small thing. It's, it's quite a massive difference. In some ways, it's like the difference between zero and one. And you could say, well, there's only one difference there. That's true, but there's also an infinite distance between zero and one because no amount of zeros multiplied, you know, can ever end up getting to one. So there really is an infinite distance there and that the bridging between being completely turned off, being completely in the dark, being completely in forgetting that you're alive right now versus knowing that you're alive is, is a massive, massive difference that will completely change your demeanor, your emotional state, your, your hormonal balance, your, your chemicals, how you talk to people, what you say to them, what you even see when you see other people. The word that I use for being in remembrance that you're alive is joy. That's what joy means to me. Joy doesn't necessarily mean happiness. Happiness and sadness are like these two opposites. But to me, joy is being so full of of your life, being so aware of, of how rich and beautiful that it is to be in this body and to breathe in the air and to have all of the skin and the bones and, you know, all of the soft, mushy parts to be able to do all of the stuff that we get to do with it, you know, that's, that's, that's joy. And there's so many forms of joy. Joy can take so many different forms, but regardless of all of the forms, we really can break it down to as simple as, do you know in this moment that you are alive or do you not? And the difference between those two things really comes down to remembrance. Okay, so one of my uh, favorite quotes is Henry David Thoreau, you know, who was a really incredible writer and author and quite a wild man, you know, that I I really love. I really resonate with his work. And during a time in the 1800s when the cities were becoming populated and people were moving away from the country, they were moving out of nature, they were going into these city systems, they were getting very, very caught up in these cultural systems that defined values for them and said, this is what's important make money, get to the top of the game, be at the top of the social circle, have more than your neighbor, you know, be the manager, be the boss. Like there's all of these things that humans have created that 
in some ways have versions and archetypes in nature, but in other ways really are just this complete virtual reality. If all the humans disappeared on Earth, nobody would care how many followers anybody had. That's just one tiny example of, of this incredibly important thing that can raise businesses and can smash them that we've just completely invented. I remember hearing a few years ago, there was this guy, you know, who had bought some, some old rapper, I think, had bought a, a, like 100,000 followers or something like that because he didn't have that many followers and he didn't want to look bad in front of his friends for not having many followers. And then when Instagram did this purge and they went through all of these fake accounts and just deleted them all, he lost 95,000 followers just like in a moment or something like that. And he was so embarrassed that he ended up committing suicide. And there may be other reasons involved in that, but still, that was definitely a big part of, of the shame and the impact that that had on him. And can you imagine forgetting your life and the quality of it and the beauty of it and the richest of it, you know, so much that losing 95,000 followers or whatever becomes somehow equal in your mind of just ending the entire experience. And, you know, while we may look at that and, and say, well, how could he ever do that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He was in an extreme set of circumstances with other contexts that we don't know about. And in our own small way, we make that same decision that he made almost every single day, hundreds or sometimes thousands of times a day. And that's our responsibility. And it might not have been as final or dramatic as him, but the truth is, is that your life is beating through you right now. You are full of energy and vitality and beauty right now. And to not be aware of it, to choose to disregard it is, is a kind of a, a momentary suicide. You know, it's a kind of a setting down your life. And I'm not trying to be over dramatic about it, but I am trying to say that there is either an awareness that we're in our life or that we are separated from it when we become, you know, unconscious. And uh, Henry David Thoreau, you know, looking at all of these people going into these cultural systems and kind of getting lost, kind of going into these, this unconsciousness in which we become skewed sometimes making decisions like that guy made. He saw that happening and he, he didn't like it. So he left the cities, he left the culture. He just wanted to be alone. He wanted to be alone with nature, which I think is a very different thing than being alone. He goes out into nature. He surrounds himself, you know, with the trees and the rivers and, you know, the animals and, and he builds everything himself, which is a bold move. And it's certainly not one that, that I would do, but I'm thankful that he did because one of the beautiful things that he pulled out from this was this quote. He said, most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. A lot of men in that city, a lot of humans in that city might have heard that quote and say, song, what song? There's a song? And thank God that there's people, you know, like him, like brave Henry, who are willing to do the hard, scary thing, who are willing to pay attention, who are willing to know the quality and the value of their life enough that they're able to say, wait, guys, wait, 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 wait. There was a song. There was a song somewhere around here and it's gone now. We need to get back to that. And there is kind of a hypnotic lull that can happen in the rhythm of what people get into. You get into this, okay, I gotta get more followers. Okay, I gotta get more money. Okay, I've gotta, we're gonna get this house next year and we're gonna save up for that. And we're going on vacation, you know, over here and we're gonna do that. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm not saying that they're bad, okay? No shame around that. But I am saying often that part of our mind that gets into gear in that kind of a way 
is the same part of our mind that, that makes us forget what the entire freaking point is in the first place. There is this beautiful guy named David Foster Wallace and another of our great writers and thinkers who spent a lot of time alone, a lot of, a lot of time questioning the culture. And the culture needs to be questioned, you know? Our choices need to be questioned. And thank God there are people who become so introspective and reflective that they do this for us because they become living reminders for us. And he says, he has this whole beautiful, you know, story, but this one particular line really stood out to me. The constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. Oh, so good. The constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. When we get lost in that forgetfulness, we feel like there's something else. This was supposed to mean something. You know, where was the thing that mattered to me? Where was the thing that made me come alive? And why, why aren't I disconnected from that? And we search among all of the external things. We get more of them. We work hard for them or we berate ourselves, or whatever we do, but we just become separated from that. And I think the thing that's so beautiful to remember all about, about all of this is that it's a remembrance. It's a remembrance that's really the thing that is, is needed. And I, I want to dig into that just a little bit today because the remembrance is completely and a hundred percent your responsibility. It's within your ability to learn how to do, but this is not an easy place to remember. In fact, David from the Bible, the famous giant killer dude, who is also a, a, a songwriter and a poet and an incredibly introspective man, you know, like Henry David, he has this line where he refers to earth, to the human experience, and he calls it the land of forgetfulness. And I think probably as far as I've ever heard, the land of forgetfulness is maybe the most accurate term for this place, for this experience that we find ourselves in. Because in some moments we know, we know it's important. We look at the people around us and we just go, God, I am so lucky to be in the presence of such brilliant, stunning, perfect little humans or big humans or whatever they are. And then other times we are just like, what is this? Why are you doing this? How can any of this stuff be? We just come in and out of, of that of that memory, of that remembering. And part of what I want to just explore today when we're talking about remembrance as a form of self-love is that in the moments when we remember, we have a certain kind of a relationship with everything around us, including our loved ones and including ourselves, where a lot more value is exchanged. A lot more is taken in, a lot more can be given out from places of remembrance. We have David talking about the land of forgetfulness. We have Henry David saying that there's this song and there's a song and we forget the song. And when we when we become disconnected from that song, we, we lose ourselves. You know, we lose connection with this very vital piece. Uh, the term song is is something that's quite interesting because it's invisible and yet it has the power to move us. It has a rhythm with it. It has message in it. It has meaning in it. It has feeling and emotion in it. Using that term song, I think, was not an accident. It's, it's, it's like that because the remembrance is like that. Memories are like songs in a certain kind of a way. You can't see them, you know, but they make you feel. And they do have a meaning to them. They do have a, a message to them that's, that's powerful and, and important. I think another thing that's really fascinating is you've got... Jesus is, is on the cross, okay? Jesus is on the cross, he's dying. And uh, he's just been killed, he's been tortured, which is like the, pretty much the worst thing that can happen to you. And he says this line that's really stunning. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's 
often what's been translated as. And if David has the best description of earth with the land of forgetfulness, then I think Jesus had the best description of humans, which was, they know not what they do. And it's like, yep, that's me. Definitely. I can sign up for that. I know not what the fuck I do. <laughs> Most of the time that, that describes, you know, me and a lot of other humans on the planet. But I did a little bit of a search into that root word one time. And I thought it was really fascinating because that term that's been you know, translated from another language, from Greek, that forgive them, they know not what they do. The know not can actually also come from the same word that is remembrance. So you could fairly and accurately translate that line that Jesus is quoted as saying there on the cross, looking at all these people that have just tortured him. He just says, Father, forgive them because they don't remember. They don't remember. And Paul, you know, one of Jesus's apostles later on, he says something similar. He says, if the princes of the world had known who Jesus was, they never would have killed him. And I think, again, looking into a word study on that that I did a, a while back, it was a similar kind of thing. You could switch out the word known for remembered. If the princes of the world had remembered, they never would have killed Jesus. They never would have done that. And so again, we have this very dramatic example. We've got the dramatic example of the rapper who commits suicide because he loses 100,000 followers. And then we have this dramatic example of Jesus being tortured and crucified on a cross, you know, and then we're like, well, how do those things have anything to do with me? In our own small way, every single day, we are faced with micro versions of that. And as is a big theme in the stuff that I explore, people can't do huge things in a single bound. That's not the way that we're made. What, what humans can do is small things and do them again and again and again and again and again, very repetitively. And those small things build to big things. So often we are disconnected from our own power because we just forget that our ability to do a small thing right now and then to do it again and again and again today and then to do it again and again and again tomorrow is literally what creates the bigness of anything that we ever consider big in the first place. It's all journey. And because of that, you might say, well, I'm not committing suicide today, you know, because I lost a few followers. But if you did lose 10 followers today, I bet you you would feel down for like 10 to 15 seconds, if not an hour. And depending on who those followers were, if it was somebody that you thought was a friend, you might lose a, a couple hours to that today. You might lose the whole darn day to that. And as I said, that's a micro version of the of the big decision that this rapper guy made. It's It's a micro version of that, that we really have to take accountability for, because in a lot of ways, without meaning to, we end up, you know, killing hours at a time. We end up killing days at a time of ourself, slicing off those things and burning them up in some other way. And that is not self-love. When you are in remembrance uh, of who you are, when you are in remembrance of just the fact that you're alive and that that is a very rare thing in the universe, as far as we know, it is very rare to be alive. I have told this story before, but it's one of my favorites, so I'll tell it again. <laughs> and that is, I was giving this, this talk one time and I was in India, which I love. Love the people of India, so special. So, so, so special. I was on my way to there, and as I was doing that, I often do a little bit of research in the country, about the country, you know, before I go there to speak for the first time. And I found out there's 1.2 billion people there, which is just astronomical. I can't even fathom that many people 
it's a huge portion of the world is all in that one, you know, magical little country. I mean, it's not little, but, you know, that one magical country. And that number 1.2 billion had really stood out to me because very recently before that, I had been doing research of a different kind and had found out that when a man loves a woman, you know, or whatever, that the little swimmers that come out, there's like 1.2 billion of them, you know, there can be up to that, you know, and that number kind of reminded me of each other. And so when I was giving this speech, I looked out at this audience and I said, I want you guys to take a look around, take a look around at these people. Take a look around at these faces, okay? Every person in here, everyone, won a race against 1.2 billion other tiny little swimmers just to have the opportunity to become born, to become alive. You fought 1.2 billion other incredible athletes through this obstacle course, through this crazy <laughs> river. You left one body, you went into another body. That's literally, when you're talking about the size of a sperm, that's like moving to an entire whole other world. And you left, you were in one world, you went to another world, you fought through all of this defense systems and crazy experiences that you had, and you got there and you won, and you won that. And uh, I said, that would be like being in a race against every other person in India. There's this massive starting line, and here you are on the starting line. Every other human in India is also on the starting line, and you don't just do well. You don't just do great. You win first place against all of those people. And that is true of every person in this room. That's what I said in the talk. Obviously, also, it's true of every person listening to me right now. <laughs> and we come in to the world having won in that kind of a way. And there's that royal nature, you know, that, that comes out in that, in that moment. And it's like, here I am, feed me, take care of me, love me. We, we are winners. We are champions as we come out. And then what happens? What happens is we forget, we forget. Another time in, in Brazil, I gave this talk about the oldest truth and the oldest lie. And the oldest truth is you are important. You are important. You fought through what you had to fight through, all of those other swimmers, just to be here. You fought for this chance. You have the chance. It's in your hands right now. The chance is flowing through your body right now. The chance is beating in your chest right now. This is the chance that you fought for. And sometimes, because of the weight of the world, because of these virtual realities that we create for ourselves, of these, these projected value systems of oh, but I don't have this many followers, or oh, but I'm not at this place and I need to be this place, or this one particular person doesn't like me and I really wish that they did, or my parents didn't love me right, or any of these virtual things that we create, we'd forget. We go into this land of forgetfulness, you know? We, we kill Jesus in that moment, you know? We crucify our life. We, we torture ourselves. you know? We, we put pain on, on, our, on ourself. We, we cause ourselves to suffer. Because we forget, because we just set aside our, our remembrance, you know? And it reminds me of, um, well, I'll just finish this part, actually, before I move on, about, about this oldest truth and the oldest lie. And the, the oldest truth is that you are important, you know? And then the oldest lie is so, 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 so similar, so similar to the oldest truth. There's just one tiny, tiny little addition. And of course, the best lies 
are so similar to the truth with just a slight little twist in there. And it's not, it's the word not. So you put I am not important in that sentence. And suddenly the oldest truth shifts, shifts in a very dark way and becomes the exact opposite of, of what it meant. It is now saying, I, I am not, I am not um, important. And then we, we believe that lie, you know, and we, we disconnect from it. And we, we, we make decisions that are not in respect of ourselves, not in respect of other people. I created this technique that some of you guys might know about. It's called Superfeel. And a lot of photographers around the world, thousands and thousands and thousands, use it to draw emotion out of the people that they photograph. And I created this like more than a decade ago now, which is kind of crazy, but uh, and it's since spread, you know, to be used by a lot of different people around the planet, which has been amazing to see. And one of the most beautiful parts about it is that I constantly still receive emails from people all around the world who are using this technique to draw out emotion from the people that they're photographing. And as a result of that, have really beautiful interactions, you know, and moments and really special things that happen. And my favorite ones, you know, that I ever got of so, 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 so many stories was this one particular woman who had just finished the Superfeel course and she was using the technique for the first time and she had shot her, her parents. And um, she sent me this beautiful picture of, of this older man holding out his hand and touching the cheek of his wife so, 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 so tenderly. You know, it was so beautiful. His eyes were just full of love. He was just like, he looked like, I don't know, Jesus, if he ever would have gotten to be an old man or something like that. The guy was just gorgeous. And the love was gorgeous and the tenderness was there. And it made me feel something, even though I didn't know these people. And she said, you'd never believe it. But 10 minutes before this photo was taken, these two people were in a bitter argument and were treating each other very, very poorly. And it was such a stunning thing to consider because, you know, she had used the technique to basically take them from that state into this other state. And it, looking again at that man's eyes, it's like it was hard to imagine he could be mean to anybody. It was hard to imagine he could, you know, be in disrespect of, of somebody else. But of course, we know that that's true. And the difference is that he was in a state of remembrance. He was in a state of remembrance. And it was such a powerful moment in my journey because I realized something so, 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 so important. And that is that when you are in that state of remembrance, you just don't make bad decisions. You know, you just don't do dark things. You just don't do disrespectful things. You're extra empathic. You're extra caring. You're extra loving. You're extra beautiful. You see beauty in the other. You respond to the beauty in the other. You are beautiful as you're doing it. So the big problem of the world, you know, isn't that we're doing all of these stupid things. It's not that we're evil people. It's just what Jesus said. They just don't remember. They just don't remember. And I think practicing and building that sense of memory in yourself is probably the most important thing that you can do. Because a lot of the things we're trying to keep ourselves from doing or keep other people from doing or get them to do or get ourselves to do would all be solved if we just solved the main problem, and the main problem is just that we forget. We forget what's really important. We forget what, what really matters. And me studying this as much as I do, exploring it as much as I do, obsessed with life as I am, 
I forget constantly, constantly I forget. I move in and out of remembrance all day, but I remember a lot more than I used to. And I can honestly say large sections of my days are filled with remembrance, and that has come from practice. I don't have any tattoos, and I don't believe I'll ever get any, but if I did, the one tattoo I would probably get, it would just say, remember. <laughs> and whatever form that you can, you know, remember, whatever helps you to remember is so valuable and so precious. And it is something that needs to be done again and again and again. It's not something you can just say, well, I remembered the other day, you know, and that was enough. That would be like the heart saying, I beat all day yesterday, you know, and I just don't feel like doing it anymore, to be honest. Weren't those beats enough? And it's like, nope. Memory is like that. We need to remember that we're alive. We need to remember that we're alive. We need to remember that we're alive. We need to remember that we're alive again and again and again. So what does that look like practically? You know, what, what does that look like? Because I always love to take things to a practical place because concepts alone just float up into the ether until they're actually embodied. And that's been a big part of, you know, my 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 work and my exploration and what I want to teach and share is how do we get this into our body? And I think that's really where the role of beauty comes in. It's really where the role of beauty comes in. I think beauty is very likely something even beyond what we think that it is. I think beauty plays a super important role in, in remembering, in helping us to remember. If a person ever is truly aware and, and totally aware of their beauty that they have in their self, even just a fraction of it. They would have no need to lock down or to seek control of, of any external you know, sources of beauty. They, they would have none. And so beauty to me is almost like a door back to remembrance. That's what beauty is. And so what I do as a practice, as an embodiment of these things that I'm talking about is I pay attention to beauty. I pay such careful attention to beauty. When I hear beauty, I stop and I listen and I soak it up. When I smell beauty, I love, I love smelling my food before I eat it. And people think that I'm funny sometimes for doing that, but why should it be funny to, to, to savor my life? This one time in my journal, I wrote this little thing, you know, about this that says, the same part of my mind that can keep me from enjoying my favorite meal can keep me from enjoying my life. Don't just chew and swallow, wild creature. Savor every slow bite. Remember to taste your life. <laughs> I'm getting a little emo here, but such is me. <laughs> so I'm just gonna read that again because it means so much to me. And I hope that some piece of it can impart to you and help you remember as it has helped me. The same part of my mind that can keep me from enjoying my favorite meal can keep me from enjoying my life. Oh, and it's just so crazy how that's true. I have this amazing restaurant I love going to called Speranza and it has the best Italian food I've ever had in my entire life. And that is including food in Italy, which I have been blessed to go to several times. This Italian restaurant in Los Angeles is one of my favorite in the world. I eat the food and it's delicious, but there have been times, many times probably, where I put that food in my mouth and swallowed it. I wasn't even there with it as I was doing it. I was forgetting it. I was crucifying Jesus in a very tiny, simple form of just not even tasting the beautiful food that's there. And again, when, when we're in that moment, missing out on this beautiful gift that's been given to us, 
it is a form of, of denying, you know, God. It is a form of denying the beautiful universe around us. It is a form of this quiet desperation with the song still in us. Don't just chew and swallow. This is a moment right now that you're having. Even you and me right here through this technology. This is a moment. It's a real moment. It's a beautiful moment. And we can just chew and swallow and say, yeah, whatever. I got to do this other thing. Or we can be like, wow, how do we savor this? How do we savor this? And did you know the more you practice savoring, the better you get at savoring? It's pretty cool. And for my many faults and failures and my many growth edges, I'm pretty darn good at savoring at this point. I'm pretty darn good at savoring. I can savor a bite of food. I can savor this delicious moment that's happening right now. I can savor how good it feels to be in my body. I can savor how lucky that I feel to be able to share these things with you that have cost me a lifetime to learn and understand. I can savor the fact that later today I'm going to meet some of my closest and dearest friends you know, and share beautiful moments with them. Like I can savor the sunlight that's on my skin right now. There's so much to savor. And in the practicing of the savoring, you know, we are opening ourselves to both receiving from all of these things. You know, as we receive, we get full and full and full. And then we can give so easily and so freely. And that is definitely a practical form of self-love. Remembering is an incredibly practical form of self-love. Almost finished here. One more, one more thing. We talked about beauty. We talked about beauty as being like a door into that remembrance. I think how I want to end this is something else that came to me in a journal a while back, you know, it was about the role of the artist. And the simplest way that I know to explain the role of the artist is to remember and to remind. To remember and to remind. You know, to receive, to fully receive and then to share what was what was received. And in, in the giving and the receiving of those two things, a circuit gets created. And in that circuit, there's movement. And then in the movement, you change lives and you change hearts and you, you open up the world, you change everything. And again, a lot of times people only think of that in big, 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 big leaps and moments. And I'm telling you as humbly as I can, as honestly as I can, as simply as I can, don't go for the big, huge changes. Go for lots and lots and lots of tiny changes. And without even trying, at some point, some beautiful day, you'll get to these huge changes. And you'll look back and you'll be like, wow, how did I just do that big change? How did I, this tiny person, do that big change? And I know exactly what that feels like, guys, because the projects I'm working on right now, I feel so humbled and proud to be working on. And they have such big scope they have such huge scopes into these things that I'm working on. And it blows my mind that tiny little Jesh, who came from being such a shy, weird kid, even has the chance to be working on these things. Even if I fail at all of them, just the sheer fact that I have the chance to do it is, is amazing. So that is the role of the artist to remember and to remind. Have a beautiful day. I will see you tomorrow. Forms of Self-Love with Jesh D. Rocks is produced by Jesh D. Rocks and edited by Elizabeth Windham. Our theme music is by Kai Kai. 
It's called Celeste from the album Fantasize. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this mini-series, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and general community. You can find Jesh at Jesh D Rocks on Instagram and Facebook.